and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. This is God's word. More challenging stuff from Jesus. Let's pray and uh, look at it together. Our great God and Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the challenge it brings, for the comfort, for the encouragement. And we want to hear you rightly this evening. Father, would we look to the Lord Jesus? Would we learn from him? Would we be those who are willing to follow him in his pattern of life and death, trusting in him? Father, move us to that by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this account really, the, um, uh, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, essentially they ask Jesus, can I be great please? Which is a bit of a crass question. I mean it's a bit daft to say that out loud, publicly. Can I be great please? I'm, probably no one here is quite so naff as to say that out loud. Probably. Um, but there's, there's that sort of attitude or that ambition where well, I can look within us, that's not hard. I don't know what your ambitions are. Is it okay to be ambitious? To achieve stuff? To achieve greatness? I don't know what your ambitions are. I read uh, recently uh, career ambitions for 5 to 11 year olds. Uh, 25 years ago, and then I'll give you today, 25 years ago, number one was to be a school teacher, number two to be a banker, number three to be a medic, number four to be a scientist, number five to be a vet. Those are the best careers 
uh, for five to 11-year-olds 25 years ago. There'll be one or two of you here. Uh, today, the ambitions, top five. One, sports star. Well, to be fair, if you can be paid 300k a week to play football like Wayne Rooney, why wouldn't you? Uh, that's a pretty good deal to me. Uh, number one, sports star. Number two, uh, pop star. Yeah. Uh, number three, actress. Actress, not actor. This is, it was, it was, um, number four, astronaut. I mean, that's just out of this world. Number... Oh. Fair enough. Um, uh, number five, lawyer. Good for you. <laughs> uh, if you're vaguely interested, you may not be amongst parents of the 5 to 11 year olds who were asked what ambitions for their children. Number one was to be a lawyer. Number two, to be a medic. Number three, to be an entrepreneur. Brackets, presumably successful. Rather than being 50 years old and saying, oh, mum and dad, I've got another good idea. One day I'll move out of your house. Uh, presumably successful entrepreneur. Then what about you? You consider yourself an ambitious, to be an ambitious person? And is that okay? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with ambition. It's where you make the most of what God has given you. To be ambitious to achieve things for the Lord. Yeah, and when it comes to serving God, maybe our problem is our ambitions are too small. You can never be too ambitious in what you might want to achieve uh, for the Lord. The problem is when ambition takes over. The Christian life, you meant to have many ambitions. Yeah, I mean, be ambitious to achieve the most you can in your career. Yeah, be ambitious to serve people in your church, family, and see your church thrive, flourish. To be ambitious in, in your own personal family life and friendship. You meant to have multiple ambitions. The problem is when one ambition becomes your only ambition, and then it's an, idol- it's an idolatry if it takes over and dominates. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, wanted greatness. And yet Jesus, he slaps them down, you'll see that. And yet still he can say, verse 26, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. So to be great in his kingdom is okay. There's worldly greatness that he seems to be attacking. And I wonder if the sort of ambitious desire, I wonder if ambition is a bit like our sex drive. In the right place, it's good. It's God-given. It's entirely appropriate. In the wrong place, it is a very powerful urge and hard to control and will lead you to do things you will regret. In the right... You see, I think it works a bit like that. It's a very powerful urge. Uh, You feel it at different ages and stages, but it's very strong. We're in uh, this little section of Matthew's Gospel, we began it in uh, chapter 19, uh, it's a new section of the Gospel begins, and uh, we've called it the challenge of the king. That works in two ways, uh, on one hand Jesus is challenged, his authority is challenged, but on the other hand the deci- his discipleship is challenging. Uh, he's um, uh, pointed out a number of flaws in the pattern of discipleship of those first followers and you know, if the cap fits, wear it. I think we've uh, found that challenging. If you were here last week, the issue was that the disciples felt that they were superior and therefore should get a big reward from Jesus. Slightly different here. Here, these disciples are desiring to be superior. They're ambitious for status, is what's going on in this uh, account.
Now, there is a certain uh, pattern to what takes place here. Three times in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gives an account, such as verse 17 to 19, predicts his death. That He predicts he's going to um, go to Jerusalem, he'll be betrayed, the teachers will condemn him to death, he'll be mocked, crucified. You know, he predicts his death three times. And each time he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, the disciples say, hmm, not sure about that. And he says, yeah, that's what's going to happen. So uh, you get it in uh, chapter 16, verse 21. Jesus predicts his death. Peter says, no. So Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. You'll have to do the same. Uh, chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus predicts his death. And the disciples say, mm, could we be great? We'd really like to be. Who is the best of us all? Uh, that's what we want to talk about. And he says, no, you need to be like a child. Dependent. Third time here, Jesus predicts his death. And James and John say, oh, can, can we get the best seats on the plane? Can we be on your right hand and left hand? And he says, no, you should be slaves. Three times they go through this rigmarole. Jesus says, you follow me, you'll suffer now, glory later. They say, mm, glory now, please. He says, no, suffer now, glory later. Over and over again. And if nothing else, let me suggest that pattern... It suggests we constantly need Jesus' correction on our ambitions. We constantly need him to redirect our lives because we go awry. Over and over again, you see this pattern. Okay, three things. Uh, three things. Let's work it through this way. Uh, the Zebedee family, I'm going to get tired of saying that. I'm just going to call them the Zebs. I hope that's okay, the Zebs. The Zebs wanted status. Jesus modelled suffering service. The blind men wanted mercy. Those three. Uh, first two take up our time, really. First then, the Zebs wanted status. Uh, verse 20, excuse me, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. We know from chapter 4, the sons of Zebedee are James and John. But they all come together clearly, and uh, when he replies to them, uh, verse 22, Jesus says to them. So they're there uh, in, um, on mass. So the three of them come to Jesus, and they want a favour, and the two lads, I mean, they're grown lads, they're fishermen, they're professional men, they say, mummy, you do the talking. That's never great, is it? Never great when you're a grown-up man, and you say, mummy, can, can you do the talking for me? You know, if that's you, shame on you, that's not great. Um, but so they seem to be a social climbing family altogether. I've never met them. The Middletons seem very nice, nice sisters, nice smiles, etc. They're sometimes accused in the press of being a bit of a social climbing family, marrying a monarch, pretty good, marrying a, you know, a wealthy banker, not bad, uh, that sort of thing. But this is social climbing. Jesus, can my boys be right hand and left hand and rule over the universe with you? That's pretty ambitious for Ma and the boys. But before we dismiss them, that they do get some stuff right. So uh, mum comes along and she kneels in Matthew's gospel. It's a worship word, proscunio, that prostrates herself. It's a word that indicates worship. Clearly the family believes that Jesus is a king. He's going to inherit a kingdom. And they want to tie themselves to him. They want to invest in Jesus' kingdom. So there's lots here which is good, which is just a reminder often our Selfish ambition gets sort of confused and gets mixed up with godly zeal. We're all a bag of mixed motives. We're never pure. 
But here their selfish ambition slightly trumps their zeal to be godly. Now the problem with the, um, the actual request they make, when we said your right hand and left hand, I guess it gets highlighted in two ways. Uh, first, um, uh, verse 24, you see it in the impact it has upon the others. Verse 24, when the ten heard about this request, they were indignant with the two brothers. I take it not because they thought, mm, look at those selfish ambitious, selfish ambition, that's naughty, you shouldn't be like that in the kingdom, but rather... Hey, hold on a minute. Who put them in charge? Why do they get the better seats on the plane? Why are they first class and we're economy? We don't like it. That's very human. So you can have someone, uh, put it this way, I've got a little picture. Uh, imagine it this way. Uh, so there's a boss, we'll call him the king, and um, three employees, and let's say they work 40 hours a week, all three of them, and get paid £50,000 a year. So nice, 40 hours, 50k, good. All three of them get the same, all are happy. And then the boss decides to elevate one of them. Now the other three, same number of hours, 40 hours a week, same pay, 50k, but all of a sudden, one gets paid 20k more. And how do they feel? They don't like it. They don't like it so much their faces turn yellow. And round. Now that's, that's very normal, isn't it, for us? It's very human. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. You know, we, got, you know, we're good, you know, we work you know, in, in, the, in the lecture room. Yeah, let's help one another. We got on well. Let's share our no- Oh. Oh, you've got elevated. Oh. Oh, I don't like that. But your conditions haven't changed. You're still on whatever it is. 40 hours, 50k. Whatever. But he's got more. I don't like it. Why does Wayne Rooney need £300,000 a week to play football? I mean, I pay, I, you know, I'm a bit decrepit now, but for, the, you know, for 10 years I paid to play football, my subs. Uh, I just enjoyed it. It's just a fun thing to do. Why don't you just live that way? I mean, he's on something like 220 k 225 at the moment. Why do you need £300,000 per week? Well, just because it means that you're the top dog. You just obviously want to be elevated amongst the rest. You don't, I mean, really, when you're into that level of income, you're going to struggle to spend it, I guess. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure there are ways to spend it. Um, but you don't need any more. It's just you want to be raised up, and people don't like it. I guess that you see that in verse 24. But the, the main point is, um, verse 25 reveals Jesus' response. And you see in Jesus' response the problem with their question. Because he knows what's going on. So how he responds reveals the error of what they're asking. So verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Worldly leadership, he says, looks like this. A lording it over. And exercising authority over. And when you see how these same words get used elsewhere in the New Testament, it's obvious these are negative terms. So um, Acts 19, verse 16. uh, and An evil man, we're told overpowered the sons of Siva and beat them up. Same word as exercising authority. 
So when it says here, exercising authority, that's not a, a policeman saying, move along, please, sir. You know, just move along, please, sir. Exercising authority is a beating up sort of word. It's a, an aggressive sort of word. It's an unkind use of your power. And lording it, 1 Peter 5, 3, the elders are told not to lord it over the church members. It's a bad thing. So essentially Jesus is saying a worldly sort of structure of leadership is wanting status, wanting to be top of the pile, wanting to bear down upon other people. She said, don't be like worldly. Worldly status is a bit like this, this picture. There we go. There we go. So you want to be top of the tree. You want to be on top of the pile. Because if you're on top and you're the boss, well, you push your muck onto the people below you and they push their muck onto the people below and they push their muck onto the people below. And if you're the bottom of the pile, you receive a whole lot of poop, um, is the point. That is often a worldly structure, how things work. Now, Jesus isn't saying that inevitably every business, every company gets run like this. But normal, selfish human nature wants to be top of the pecking order. At every age and stage. So there's a pecking order in the playground at school, in the sports club at university. Everyone knows who the preeminent ones are. In the staff room at work, around the family table, Sometimes there's a little bit of competition to see who's the top dog. But that desire is there often. Human nature is to use status for our own glory. For our own glory. And that was the Zebs. The Zebs wanted status to look down upon others. So everyone looked up to them and said, aren't they impressive? If they could lord it over push their mark on to those below. And Jesus says, not so with you. Now we'll see in the second point that the contrast makes the application clearest, I think. But just before we move on, you, I don't know quite where your hearts are. You, some of you might sit here and think, do you know what, I don't really desire greatness. I don't think I really want great status above other people. Well, I wonder if there's a more subtle point. When you go to Jesus, what do you request? I mean, we don't kneel physically, but when we go to him in prayer, what do we request, I wonder? Zebedee's family came before Jesus and prayed, Lord, please can we be more important than the others? Lord, please can we be successful? Lord, please can we have great status? Now, I don't know about you, I don't pray that, my prayers are somewhat more mundane and lacking in ambition. Lord, please get me through this week. Um, it's a bad week. Get me through. But by contrast with Jesus, the one who serves, how many of our prayers are for others too? I mean, it's not the main point here, but it was a more subtle one. When we go to Jesus, are all our requests for us, that life goes well with us, or do we use them for others and to pray for other people? I want them. Just in passing. Okay, but the contrast gets clearer as you look at uh, the second thing. So the Zebs wanted status. Secondly, Jesus modelled suffering service. Two elements there, suffering and service. Let's look at them both. Let's go back to verse 22 then. 
uh, there are additional requests. Can we sit at your right hand and left hand? Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Verse 22, Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, biblically, with their Old Testament background, that is a cup of suffering. See it very clearly, Psalm 75, Isaiah 51. Let me just read you Jeremiah 25. It's another clear passage. This is what the Lord said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. The cup is a cup of suffering. Jesus says, you, you don't know what you're asking when you ask for that. I mean, there's an irony here, isn't it? They say, can we be at your right hand and left hand? Uh, a few days later, as he dies upon the cross, who are at Jesus' right hand and left hand? Well, there are people who have been killed. There are the criminals. You want to be my right hand and left hand, says Jesus? Well, let me show you what that's going to look like. Suffering. Now, their response is, verse 22, yep, we can do that, because they don't know what they're asking. To my surprise, Jesus doesn't say, verse 23, idiots, you really don't know what you're asking. But rather, verse 23, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will. Now, that's surprising. Apart from if you were here last week, we learned what is impossible with man is possible with God. So a few chapters later, chapter 26, Jesus is on trial. Where are the disciples? They've run. They've run. Peter asks three times, what? don't you know, weren't you one of this guy's followers? You were with the Galilean, Jesus, weren't you? No. Yeah, you were. No. Yeah, you were. No. Is Peter prepared to drink the cup of suffering? He is not. Oh, fast forward, Jesus' is death, resurrection, ascension, the Spirit poured out. Are the disciples willing to suffer? They are. Those working through the book of Acts, Acts 12, verse 2, James, the first of the twelve disciples to be martyred at Herod's hand. John, exiled to Patmos for his life. Oh, you will suffer, says Jesus, if you follow me. The Zebs have no idea what they're asking. Because if you ask Jesus for the crown of glory in his kingdom, you are asking for suffering. Suffering precedes the crown in the Christian life. That's what he means when he says, follow me. So there's suffering and there's service. Verse 25 then. Verse 25, the, uh, the secular pattern of leadership is to lord it over people. Not so with you, says Jesus. Verse 26. Instead, whoever wants to be, uh, become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Servant, literally table waiter. And if any of you have jobs waiting on tables, um, yeah, you get treated really badly sometimes particularly if you work in a fairly nice place. In my um, uh, late teens and throughout my university uh, time when I went back in the school holidays to uh, near where my parents live, it's sort of Essex, London borders, get plenty of people there, particularly 20-odd years ago, who were um, 
Essex lads who left school at 16 and made a load of money in the city. They were loads of money, if you remember that sort of uh, stuff. Uh, And so I worked at a hotel that had lots of nouveau riche weddings. Um, Lots of crazy, ridiculous suits, you know, that odd fashion where you have a sort of grey suit, grey shirt, grey tie, all in the one, you know, classic sort of footballer thing. So, yes, a number of footballers' weddings, Tony Adams and others, I remember uh, being at their wedding. Um, But you have a number of people at that setting who, they'd made a lot of money, and they could be deeply unpleasant to the waiters. One occasion, uh, evening meal, there's this table of 12, uh, a guy who's in charge of the table, clearly had more money than sense, and in order to shed loads of champagne, 120 quid a bottle, and uh, another, another bottle of champagne. So I went to the manager and said, who wants another bottle of champagne? He said, oh, we're out of that one. What's the bloke like? I said, mm, obnoxious show-off? Uh, he said, my favourite. Um, he said, go and offer him this bottle, you know, Chateau Ripoff at a thousand pounds a bottle. Just tell him we've got some of that. It wasn't called that, obviously. And, you know, no one, no one is so stupid to buy a Chateau Ripoff. He said, just say we got this and it's a thousand pounds a bottle. And, uh, okay, sorry, sir, we haven't got any of that 120. We have got Chateau Ripoff at a thousand pounds a bottle. What? What? Why have you made me drink this Nats wee all evening long? I'll have another four bottles of that round the table. And the manager said, thank you very much. I buy it for about 50 quid. And um, off they go. So you get that sort of people being deep. Table waiter. No status. Table waiter. Or verse 27. Slave. At the beck and call of everyone. Greatness amongst Jesus' disciples is based upon service. I guess that's why a few years ago people got so upset with the MPs with their noses in the trough, taking money for their expensive duck islands and their, you know, these ridiculous, stupid things they were spending money on. Because hold on a minute, these are people we've appointed to serve, be our representatives, and they're just, they're not serving, they're using for gain. And here is the question of this little incident. Whatever position you're in, lofty or not, it doesn't matter if you're the MD of a company, you work for Mackie D's, the question is this, will you use your position for self or to serve? That's the question. Whatever status you find yourself, whatever resources God gives you, whatever wealth or opportunity or connections or talents, will you use them for self or to serve? That's the question. The pattern of this world is you achieve a certain status for your good, to feather your nest, to feel good about yourself. The pattern of the kingdom is that you serve others. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Jesus is not objecting to leadership. The New Testament, very clear, it's good to have governments, good to have bosses and employees. Structure is good. You need that in society. What is not good is when the people at the top use their position for themselves, not to serve. Jesus is not saying, I don't think, that uh, if you are, you know, if you are the Prime Minister, you should spend your time cleaning the loos at 10 Downing Streets just to demonstrate that you're a servant. That's a poor use of time. He serves, if he's doing a good job, he serves 
by using his time wisely. I take it that his staff, his cabinet, don't want him to clean the loos. They'd much prefer half an hour one-to-one with him. That's how he serves them. His serving is not doing the most menial thing you can possibly find to do. Serving is using the gifts that God has given you to the maximum for the sake of other people. You see? Now, ambition is tricky. Yeah, many of you are young. Some of you would dream big dreams. Good for you. Good for you. Ambition is God. Excuse, excuse me? Uh, ambition is good. <laughs> ambition is good. I mean, later on Matthew 25, Jesus will say, look, whatever talents God gives them, gives to you, use them. Use them to the maximum. Do not waste the talent God has given you. If you are a good musician, be the best you can be. If you have the opportunity to make a lot of money, make the most you can. Whatever your talents God has given you, use them. But, is your heart set on eminence or success for yourself? Or are you going to use whatever you achieve in life to serve others? That's the question. I had a conversation with someone from... um, uh, lunchtime, the lunchtime congregation, we do Tuesday lunchtime midweek in Mayfair uh, recently. Um, he's very honest. Uh, he said, I was out for lunch with a client, and the client said to me, you know, you've done quite well in a fairly short time. You know, people are talking about you. You've made a name for yourself in this industry. And he said, I heard that and my heart soared. Metaphorically, I was fluttering around the restaurant, you know, hitting the ceiling. I have made a name for myself. I felt so good. And I walked back to the office, and something niggled in my head, and I thought, why don't I, what's wrong with that? And then I thought to myself, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, they tried to make a name for themselves, and God crushed them and destroyed them. And my heart sank. And I realized, golly, Who do I want to make a name for? For the name of the Lord or the name of me? And that's the question. The flip side, I guess, of this is how encouraging. Anyone can be great. Anyone can be great. You don't have to have a senior role. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have gone to the right school. You don't have to speak with the right accent. Anyone can be great. You can work cleaning offices between the hours of 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. But be great if you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone in any walk of life can be great regardless of your IQ, regardless of your networking, you can be great in God's economy. I think that's enormously encouraging. You just need a heart that's willing to serve. Of course, verse 28, you get the supreme example of that. Verse 28, you must be a, uh, verse 27, whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus used his status to serve. He put all that he was at the disposal of others. And that's the model.
Verse 28, uh, you may well know this is one of the clearest, bluntest statements of Jesus' self-understanding. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. Yes, look, I'm going to go and heal people. You'll see that in a moment. Yes, my teaching is profound. But all of that is building up to this. This is why I have come to die. I deserve glory. Humanity deserves nothing but judgment. I will take judgment so they might have glory. If you trust in me, I have ransomed you. You can be forgiven. And the greatness of the Son of Man is seen in service. And that's how he reigns. As we sing sometimes, he is the servant king. It's not just that he serves in order to be raised to greatness, but that service is greatness. We're told Jesus will have the marks in his hands for all eternity, the marks of serving. Because his greatness is that he serves. That's part of his greatness. Greatness is seen in serving. So the challenge of, I think, Matthew 20 is stop building your careers for yourself and serve. Put your positions, your future jobs at the disposal of others. Stop coming to church for yourself and serve. Put your gifts at the disposal of others. Will you use your position for self or to serve? That's what he's asking. No, he's not asking. He's saying, use what you have to serve. The Zebs wanted status. Jesus modeled suffering service. Very briefly, the blind men. The blind men wanted mercy. Notice two things in this little account. It's meant to follow up on what we've said so far. Two things. Their request, Jesus' response. First, their request. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, verse 29, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the the louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. You know, they're like, um, these guys, they're like uh, a bunch of teenage One Direction fans outside their hotel. Ooh, notice me, notice me. Harry, smile. Um, That sort of thing. Um, (laughs) George, son of David, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. They're screaming, they're screaming. Now what they asked for, what they did not deserve, mercy. Verse 32, the question asked, Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? Same question he'd asked the Zebs. Verse 21, what do you want? Basically the same question. The Zebs had said, we want status, greatness, superiority. These two say, we just want mercy. Can you meet our deepest need? And the Christian life is in essence saying to Jesus, please have mercy. I can't save myself. I'll never achieve a position in heaven. I need you to show me mercy. And we live the Christian life saying, Lord, help. I won't keep going on my own. I won't change on my own. I need your mercy so that I might change to become more like Jesus. If you lose track of your need for mercy, you're probably likely to try and make a name for yourself. If you're someone who knows that you are useless, spiritually speaking, and need God's mercy, 
Well, you're probably more willing to serve others. They ask for mercy. The response, well, here's the response of the one who serves. Verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Compassion, he felt for them deeply. He touched them. That's what he always does in Matthew's gospel. He touches. Uh, Matthew always mentions that. It doesn't matter if they're a leper or a blind man. The world draws back. You know, everyone else said to these, um, these blind men, verse 31, oh, shut up, you useless people. Shh, he's not bothered with you. Jesus doesn't draw back. He draws near to serve the fringe of society. It's because he's the servant king. And he says, if you'll follow me, serve. Whatever you've got, gifts, talents, opportunities, dreams, ambitions, use them not for yourself. Use them to serve. Like me, says Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, you know our hearts well, better than we know them ourselves. We thank you for this account of recording it here, the, the sort of folly of this family. But if we're honest, to a greater or lesser extent, it lies within all of us. We want to be known. We want people to recognise us. We want to be doing just a bit better than others we know. So, Father, whatever you've given us, would we take it, whatever our position, would we be those who want to serve rather than use it for ourselves? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.